Well, today, um, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about things that are in plain sight, these practical teachings of Jesus. But before I want to um, say two things. One, um, thanks to Josh for uh, preaching last week. Did he do a great job? Yeah. He did a fantastic job. My favorite is it's hard to love jerks. And he's right. Um, and he also said just another uh, pretty face, which means that uh, because he's another, that means there's at least one other one up here, right? Just saying. And then two, uh, thanks to him and Sarah for coming and help lead worship. Uh, Dylan and Taylor are still on the mend, being sick, and it's fabulous to have their ministry uh, to be here. And, and all, uh, Andrea and Audrey and Troy and Penny, every week we have great worship and we're uh, so thankful for their talents and their abilities and their willingness to use them uh, to help us to worship. So, um, over the last few weeks we've talked about different parables different practical teaching um, from Jesus, and basically the idea is this is a way to jumpstart our faith, a way to maybe ignite our faith for the very first time. There's, there's five different things. We've kind of talked about them over months, actually, since I've been here, and um, it's a good way to rekindle our faith if we've walked away for whatever reason, uh, but they all start with the letter P. They're kind of easy to remember, but there's one, there's providential relationships, there's people that come into our lives, and maybe you can think of that person right now, but they come into our lives and they challenge us, they help us to grow, and they jumpstart our faith. And so providential relationships, they're sent by God to intersect in our lives. And then there's private disciplines, the way that we uh, in internally um, listen to the Word, and the way that we... Um, read the scripture, in our prayer life, and our fasting, uh, just the way that we submit, all of these things that we do internally to help us grow, and as we continue to do that, our faith ignites. There's personal ministry. Personal ministry is stepping out in faith before you think you're ready, okay? And so, I will take this opportunity to remind you that July 16th is Summer Jam, and if you think that you're not quite ready, just go ahead and do it, all right? Personal ministry, the things that you have to offer from God are impacting to all ages, right? Whether you're great with kids or you tolerate them or if you're scared of them, either way. So personal ministry is a great opportunity to step out in faith, and it helps you grow. Because every, every week when I stand up here, um, I'm scared to death, Right? And it takes faith to stand here, and it's the same way if you're going to teach Sunday school, if you're going to be a part of any kind of ministry. So personal ministry can help ignite your faith. Pivotal circumstances, we've had those over the last few weeks, right? Pivotal circumstance, big life changes, uh, maybe a graduation, maybe a wedding, maybe a death in the family. Um, if you're a new parent, those little things that rearrange your life completely, and it helps you understand, i got to trust a little more in God. I have to do more. And it jumpstarts our faith. And then there's practical teaching. And in Jesus' ministry, he used practical teaching all the time. And he used it to help relate the gospel to those that he was engaging every day. And he did it uh, to, you know, we know them as parables, right? The uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And... Um, 
And we get the opportunity to see how these practical lessons, as we read Jesus' parables, we see how they apply to our lives as well. And, and they do. The Bible is timeless and it's timely. And so it, it just goes, um, it, it doesn't have, it's relevant all the time, right? And so when we read the scripture, we always want to ask a few things of ourselves, right? When we read any kind of passage, you know, what is this, how, how does this scripture apply to my life? Right? Just simple stuff, right? Um, what is God trying to say to me through these words? And then how can, I, how can God use me because of what I've learned from this scripture? And today, uh, we're going to read a parable from the book of Luke. So if you want to take out your scriptures, Luke chapter 20 uh, will be in verse uh, 9, starting in verse 9. And uh, he shares, uh, Jesus is sharing while he's teaching in the temple. And so while you find Luke chapter 20, verse 9, um, I'll, I'll give you a little, uh, I'll backfill the story a little bit. So Jesus, um, he's sharing this parable in the temple literally just a few days before he is arrested and then tried and then crucified. And um, the purpose for Jesus' ministry, coming to the earth, being God in a body for 33 years, the reason that he came was about to be fulfilled. He came to die for us. And just the day before, he's, he's in the temple now, and just the day before, he rides in the town on a donkey. And people are cutting down palm branches and waving them, and they're throwing their coats down, and they're, you're yelling, Hosanna in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And, and they're, they're praising him for coming into town. And because of the way he comes in, he fulfills many prophecies. And he celebrated as a king the way that everyone envisioned the Messiah coming to earth. And now he's at the temple, one day removed from all that fanfare. And he's teaching about the gospel. And because of this teaching, he gets the attention of the chief priests, right? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, and um, he starts, uh, they, they approach him with some questions because he's on their home court now, right? And they approach him with these questions that ultimately would seal his fate uh, here in just a few days. And Jesus, he, uh, he was asked, um, what authority do you have? Why are you teaching this way? Why are you healing? Who gave you the, the authority to do what you're doing? And he, he does, uh, the, the, they ask this very vague question, right? Very vague in order to try and trick Jesus. And maybe enough to, to trap him in his words. No, so no matter how he answered, they could spin it the way they want to spin it. And, um, and if he answered, well, his authority came from God, well, basically he's saying, well, I, I am the Messiah, which he was. And they could charge him with blasphemy because of that. And if, they char if, they, if he answered with any other kind of uh, reason... They could just discredit him and, dis and try to disperse the crowd that constantly gathered around Jesus. And so uh, Jesus' response to their question, they asked him, what authority do you have? His, his response was another question, which was very typical uh, tactic that Jesus had. He would answer a question with a question a lot. And he launches into this little um, question about John's baptism being from man or from, from God or from heaven. And, the, and, and so the chief priests, they fall into his 
question, and they, they gather up, and you can see them. If you ever watch the Family Feud, and they're one team, they're, they're answering questions over here, and the other family's over here, and they're in a huddle. They're trying to, and they're looking over their shoulder. Are they going to get the answer we get? What's the best answer? And so that's how I envision the chief priests and the Pharisees are all over here. All right, if we answer this way, he'll say this. And if we answer this way, he'll say this. And so basically, they couldn't be right. And once again, Jesus had out-questioned the questioners. And he kind of puts them in their place that way. And then he kind of doubles down and says, all right, I'm going to tell you this story. And that's where we get to... The parable. And when we read a parable, we always want to think about who's involved, right? What's the, what's the focus of the story? And then what happens at the end? So in verse 9 of Luke chapter 20, Jesus launches into this parable. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. The harvest time, at harvest time, he sent the servant uh, he sent a servant to the tenants so that he could give, give, they could give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So he, the owner, meaning the owner, sent another servant. But they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked about this matter and, and said, this is the heir. They, they said, let's kill him and throw him out of the vineyard. And so they, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then shall the owner of the vineyard do to them? I think the, the parallel in this parable is pretty transparent, right? That the owner, who's God, the owner of the field, the owner of the vineyard is God. And the tenants, the tenants, the renters, if you will, they're the religious leaders, the, the chief priests, the Pharisees. The servants, well, they're prophets and the priests of God and uh, that, that God had sent. And, um, and then the son of the owner is Jesus. And uh, in, in a parable, usually there's three or four different common threads, right? They, they, they usually make a point. They have a moral. They're appealing to the audience, something that uh, he, Jesus would tell the story and people would, like, lean in because they were talking, he was talking about something that they knew. They were relevant to the day. But in nearly every one, God makes an appearance, this, either God as a figure or a God-like theme. And in this story... God is the focal point. He's the owner. And as Jesus is sharing this, he's, you know, this is not the first time the Pharisees had heard Jesus share a parable. They knew, they, they, they followed him around from place to place, and um, they knew the way that he taught. And they were, they were always looking for ways to embarrass him and discredit him and, and try and trick him with their questions because they didn't like the crowds. The crowds, for them, um, that meant something in people's lives were happening. And the Roman army, they didn't like crowds either. Crowds usually turned into mobs, and mobs turned into chaos. And so they didn't want these big gatherings together. But everywhere Jesus went, what happened? Crowds, right? 
everywhere Jesus went, there would be other people because he just drew them in, right? And why not? Because he healed people, right? And he fed them when they're hungry, and he, grave, he gives great advice. He gives all these different uh, stories of teaching about the gospel that people could understand. And so um, people went wherever Jesus went, and that included the Pharisees. That included all the religious leaders. They stood in the back, and they kind of graded him basically throughout um, every time that he talked. And they didn't like it because, you know, most likely the bigger the crowd that was with Jesus, the smaller the crowd in the temple, right? And so they had to go out and try and find out where the people were. And they began to engage with the crowd, listening to Jesus speak. And some of their hearts were changed, right? And they would try and come up with questions to ask him. And um, with the intention of making the crowd go away because they could prove that Jesus wasn't being truthful. And the Pharisees had heard a couple of parables already, and they, they uh, dissected these stories that Jesus told and, and noticed different central themes kind of like we do, right? Uh, and nearly every parable had this representation of God. And the other topics, you know, they would change. He would tell a story about dirt. Um, he would tell a story about fish. He could tell a story about all kinds of different things, seeds. This one's a vineyard. And, um, but the God figure is always there. The, the point uh, the kingdom of heaven is like type of mentality is always there. And as Jesus is sharing the parable about the wicked tenants, okay, they're really bad renters. Raise your hand if you're a bad renter. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, the Pharisees could see right through all of Jesus was saying. They understood exactly who he was talking to. And they were not likely um, uh, real fond of the way they were being portrayed because they were the tenants, they were the ones um, that were keeping people from the gospel. Because this fruit of the gospel, the owner plants a vineyard, and it becomes harvest time. And he sends people to his, to his vineyard to get fruit. And the religious leaders, the tenants, beat them down and throw them out. And they don't give them anything. And, and uh, so as, as this story begins to unfold... The fruit of the gospel, the good news of God's grace, and, and the people that were happy to receive the fruit weren't getting what they needed. And the tenants were protective. They claimed the fruit as their own, right? And it's, sometimes it's easy. When you uh, rent a car, you treat that thing like your own, right? You, you don't take great care of it. Maybe you, you're going to eat in it. You're going to do everything that you do in your car when you rent the car. So you're a tenant, Right? And so they started to treat the gospel as their very own. And it was about them. And they didn't want necessarily everybody to hear about it and know about it. And so the owner, he decides, listen, I'm going to send out, um, so, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to send out some servants. We're going to get some fruit um, because I planted all this. It's time. And, and they, every time the tenants, would, they saw the opportunity, they beat up the person who came and gave them nothing. And, and they were just coming hungry. They came seeking something, and they walked away empty-handed every time. And the tenant thought, well, we're just going to take over the vineyard, right? We're taking over the vineyard because um, here comes the sun. The sun is coming. The, the owner of the vineyard says, well, they don't respect any of the servants. Maybe they will respect my family, right? Well, the sun comes, and they see the opportunity in front of them. 
and they end up killing him. They, they plot against him. They kill him. And they take over the vineyard for their very own. You see, God sent Jesus to earth for one purpose. And that was to die. And, and the tenants killing the son, they, they actually fulfilled the purpose of the owner. And that's why we're here today. On every Sunday, that's why we celebrate. Because Jesus did die. And he did raise from the dead on the third day. And that's why we're here. If you were here on Easter, we talked about different religions. We saw pictures of people's tombs. And they were still in those tombs. But Jesus was gone. And that's why we celebrate today. Because it's sustained for 2,000 years, right? His name continues to go forward because of what he did for us. And so you're probably asking, well, why, why this today, right? Why are we talking about this today? And uh, you might say, well, I'm here today, and I am a Jesus follower. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. So why are you telling this story now? Well, it occurs to me that there are times when the church, and when I say the church, I mean all y'all, and all the Christians in the world collectively, Right, Big C church, if you will. Um, that It occurs to me that the church, more specifically Christians, if you want to go, go into that definition, you want to see that, we can be more like the tenants than we can the sun sometimes. And we see Christians all the time. They withhold the good news of the gospel uh, from people that, that maybe... Um, uh, like, they don't, like they own it, like they possess it, and they don't want it to get out too far, right? And when in, the go- when in fact the gospel was meant to be what? Shared, spread. Go ye therefore and teach the gospel. That's what Jesus said right before he leaves. And um, when we see, we see people that, Jesus, that are Jesus followers that behave in a way that grieves the heart of God, that just makes God go, oh, Holy cow, what in the world? Uh, when, be, just because of the way we treat each other or the way that we speak to each other, uh, because of the way we judge uh, others and deem them better than, that, that we're better than they are, or the gospel's not really for those people, if you will. And, and when we live that way, what do we become? We become the Pharisees in the story. And and if you know much about Scripture, if you're called a Pharisee, it's probably not a good thing, right? Because they were pretty selfish, and they made you jump through all kinds of hoops, and they thought they were in control of Scripture. But we become the Pharisees. We get in the way of the mission of God when we become those people. And we can take it a step further in the way that the church can be full. Uh, we can be a church full, and now we're talking about Emporia First Church of the Nazarene. Okay, we can be a church that are full of tenants. That when people come, we're like, good, good on you. We'll see you. I'm glad you're here. Or we can choose to love them, right? We can choose to meet a need. We can choose to do what the father, what the owner of the vineyard intended for the fruit, and that's to share it. And uh, when we express the need for people to believe before they belong, we're not in the right place. We're going to talk about that more here in about a month. That, that the church in general, the local church in our lives and our families, 
We need to be a place that people can belong before they believe. That's the example that Jesus set for us, right? That's what he said. He just said, follow me. Jesus never said, believe me. He just said, follow me. Later on, he would talk about believing. But he said, follow me. When we, when we frown on people that come to church because of their past, or we frown on them because of you know, what they're in the middle of right now, right? Like, like we have it all together. Who all has it all together? Raise your hand if you have it all together. Yeah. My hand ain't up. Heavens no. Right? And so we, we can't afford to do that with the gospel and be the Pharisees in this story. And the church does more, to harm, does more harm than good, uh, and people lose faith in one thing that should be there to help when we act this way. But what if, and that's a big question, right? What if we were a church full of seekers instead? What, what if we did not harbor the gospel for ourselves and maybe seekers that are not only that not only share the fruit, but take it to those who need it. We don't just wait for people to come into this room or to join a small group or to come to Sunday school or intermission or an event that we do, but we take the gospel to people that live around us. Maybe we're servants and we see people where they are, right? And when we see what their need is, that whether they're at church or they're out in the community, we Share the gospel with them. Maybe we're servant seekers. We could put them both together, right? And that are yelling from the rooftops about the gospel and how it's available. And then, and then we stop yelling. And it's not yelling in a bad way. It's just yelling. We're, we're being vocal about the gospel. But then we stop yelling. We stop talking at a normal pace of voice, at a normal uh, tone of voice. And we start to whisper to our neighbors. We go home and we show them the, the gospel by the way that we love them and by the way that we uh, live our lives in comparison to the gospel. Because that's how people will know who we follow, right? By the way that we love. Jesus said that. Should have said quotes. Sorry. And I think that our church Right? I think that our church, this church right here, we do that. Okay? We're, we're all about that. We're all about extending grace and showing love and serving others, which basically is living out the gospel of Jesus and tells about the love of Jesus to our community. That's who we want to be as a church. And I hope and I pray that that's who we want to be as a person, that we're really good at extending grace because it's really hard to love the jerk, isn't it? But that's where extending grace comes in. We need to show love. Nothing more evident than the events of this week where love could have saved a whole lot. And the heart of men is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it, right? And this, this stuff that went on in Texas, it's going to go on. Because the world is evil. Right? And our job is to combat that with the love of God. However we can. Could we have stopped it? Will we stop things like that in, in the future in this community? I don't know. But it's our job to try, right? So, if we're going to be this church, if we're going to be the ones that are, if we're going to be unlike the tenants, unlike the renters, and, and we share the fruit instead of keep it to ourselves, 
then we have to consciously be checking our attitudes, right? Individually, as a church, like we can start to feel really good if we do something nice for people, and we can start to feel really good for ourselves, but that's our job, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And so we have to continuously check our attitude. We have to be continuously making the decision to follow Jesus and to live for him every single day. That's the idea, that we continuously uh, seeking first the kingdom of God. That we have to continuously be sharing the fruit that God has grown in us. And we have to keep finding ways to love others. So we need to create a space for our, in our hearts and in our church where people can belong before they believe. That's, that's kind of the idea. And because, you know, that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus does for everyone. When he was here on earth, that's how he motivated people. He, he gave them a space to belong. And then he shared in their hurt and their struggles and their private lives. And he grew with them and they grew in him. So we have, because of, because of this, if we create this place, then um, this example that Jesus set for us, this gospel, right? Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus spent three days in the grave. And then he rose again on the third day. And because of his death and his resurrection, the price of our sin was paid for. That's the gospel. And if we freely accept that in our hearts, we have the reward of eternity in heaven in the presence of God. That's the gospel. This gospel is for everyone. It's meant to be heard. It's meant to be shared. And it's not meant to be harbored for a select few. Like, okay, I got my family, and that's good, right? I, and I love to baptize, and we're going to baptize uh, somebody today, and it's going to be awesome. I love to baptize kids. I baptize both of my kiddos. And um, it's great that we keep that our, our kids' salvation is super important, but that's not where it stops. It goes to our, the rest of our family. It goes to our neighbors and kids at school, the people we have interaction with. It's not just this little group. So we can't harbor for a select few. We have to share. And the gospel is meant to be a lifestyle for us so that others can share in that same gift, that they can have the same peace that we have. So let's be those followers, right? And how do we do that? We share. Share the love of Jesus with others. That looks different for me than it might look for you because I don't have the same relationships with the people that you do. And so we have to be very closely in tune with what God's telling us. Um, you should do this. Okay, then you go do it. And so the way that we love and we share the love of Jesus is going to look different, but it's going to do the same things over and over again. So let's be that church. Let's find new ways to impact the community. If you have ideas, let's hear them, right? But if you bring me an idea, we're probably going to ask you, let's execute that. Let's do it. Let's follow through. Let's do that. Because we need more boots on the ground. I've said this before, it can't, it can't just be me, right? can't just be me and Dylan and Jennifer and if you have, you know, and Josh and Geraldo, because we all have a, a pastor's license. That's not the way it works. 
right? It's everybody. We're all on the same boat. And really, you have more of an impact on this community than I ever will. Why? Because there's a lot of you. There's a lot of you. There's one of me. And I'm going to do my best to impact the people that I come in contact with. I want to do that. But it's our calling and it's what we're supposed to do as Christians is to share that love with others. So let's be that church. Can we be that church? Can you get excited about that? Good. And then let's come back next week. All right. Can we come back next week? We're going to explore one more parable. We're going to wrap up this In Plain Sight uh, series talking about parables. Um, and we're going to talk about every farmer's worst enemy. Weeds, right? Everybody likes weeds, right? Nobody likes them. They're in your yard. We're talking about dandelions maybe. I don't know. We're going to pray, and then we have a baptismal today. So um, a worship team, if you guys want to come on up and get prepared, you can do that. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll move forward here. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you can tell us through simple stories in your word. And Lord, as um, we... We leave today and we interact with people at work or just out and about in the different activities of our summertime. Father, we just pray that you'll give us the courage to share the love of Jesus with others. It can be very simple. It can be kind words. It can be a simple gesture. It can be asking great questions or it can just be simply listening to people as they, as they struggle and help them understand and pray for them. But help us to be a church that loves, that seeks your kingdom first. And we'll be excited for the way that you respond in people's lives, that the way that you change other people's lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well.